0: Two weeks ago, we started our Advent series. We've been starting the series called Love Came Down. We've been walking through the book of 1 Corinthians here. We're walking through 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, And so two weeks ago, our senior pastor, Randy, started our series by talking about verses 1 through 3, where he turned up the dial of talking about how Paul is, is leaning into how all of these gifts that God has given us are meaningless if we don't have Love. Last week, Randy talked about how we are to be responding to the nature of love, right? Verses 4 through 7, right? Love is patient, love is kind. You guys remember that, right? Well, this week we are going to dive into 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 12. So if you have your scriptures, that's where we're going to set up camp for this morning. If not, we've got it up here on the screens and for your screens back home. This is what God's word says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 12. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, they will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes... We've talked about the importance of love. We've talked about the nature of love. This morning, I want to talk about the permanence of love. So here's our on-ramp. Here's where we're getting on to the road, heading towards the permanence of love. This is our big idea for the morning. The permanent love of Jesus is far more important than the partial gift of the follower. The permanent love of Jesus is far more important than the partial gift of the follower. The constant love of Jesus should be our example, should be our foundation, should be our cornerstone. It should be our focus. It should be our focus each and every day, but what happens is we end up paying more attention to our gifts than to the gift giver. We spend more time developing our gifts than we do developing our gifts love I have a lot of books upstairs in my office I've got several books that help me kind of develop these gifts right you've seen these books on on making your strengths stronger right I've even got a book that tells me what number I am not really uh, in the know with all of that stuff but it tells me what number I am That's supposed to tell me how I communicate best to others but here's the thing all of those things as good of resources as they are if I don't have any love then they're worthless the Corinthians struggled deeply with this. I mean, they, they used their gifts as, as a status symbol for themselves, to put themselves up on a pedestal. They didn't use their gifts to build an altar so that they could sacrifice their gifts to the Lord. No, they made their gifts a pedestal to raise themselves up so that they could look over the tops of everyone else. They would walk around. I have the gift of knowledge. Or, I have the gift of prophecy, or I have the gifts of speech and tongues. And Paul is really saying here whoop de doo. If you don't have love, you got nothing. He's he's essentially saying, Do you have the virtue of love, though? You're missing it if you don't. Has the permanent love of Jesus overtaken your heart? See, gifts are given so that Christ can be exalted, but the Corinthians spent more time exalting their gifts and themselves than exalting Christ. The permanent love of Jesus is far more important than the partial gift of the follower. And I believe in our scripture this morning, Paul lays out three huge life-altering statements here about Jesus' permanent love. The first one, Jesus' permanent love completes. Let's go to verses 8-10. through Paul writes, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Did you hear it? Did you, did you hear how Jesus' love completes? You see, Paul starts out continuing his conversation on love. And it's, it's kind of odd if you read through 1 Corinthians like, like a full letter written to you. Like you read through it and there, there's chapter 12 is all about spiritual gifts. And you're in it and it's like we are, we are one body but many gifts, many parts, many moving things but we all work together. And then in the middle of his explanation on the gifts, he dives into love. Continues that conversation here when he says, Love never ends, but let me tell you what does end. All those all those prophecies that you've built yourself up on, all those tongues you speak, all the knowledge you have, it's all gonna go away. It's all going to leave. The words that Paul used here for pass away, which occur in our scripture four times in one form or another this morning, actually mean to nullify to abolish, to render useless, to be unproductive. So Paul is saying, your gifts are going to be unproductive. They're going to be useless. Paul is not saying that the gifts are incorrect, but that the gifts are incomplete. They're not the finished work of the Savior, but they are the incomplete words and thoughts of human beings. And why are they incomplete? Because we don't have the final say. That's our cross, but we didn't hang on it. We don't have the final authority. We don't have the final say. In verse 10, Paul makes sure to finish his thought by bringing up the return of the king. By bringing up the second coming of Christ when he says, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. The word that Paul uses here for perfect also means mature, finished, brought to completion, fully accomplished, and also means an unblemished sacrifice. If that's not a description of Jesus, then I don't, I mean, raise your hand, let me know. And pull me off the st- whatever you need to do, but that sounds like Jesus to me. Jesus' permanent love completes every partial word we speak, every partial thought we think, every partial action we take. His love completes because His love is perfect and unconditional, and ours, it's not perfect. And certainly a lot of the time is conditional. What really happened here with the Corinthians is that they were more concerned about the identity that these gifts gave them rather than giving away the love of Jesus with these gifts. Paul is saying your focus is in the wrong direction. You're focused all on this and on your your pedestal here. That's not where it should be. Your focus should be on Jesus. He's saying your worship is pointed in a different direction. Your worship should be pointed only at Jesus, not at yourself, not at the gifts that you bring to the table that are incomplete. He says your identity is in the wrong direction. You shouldn't place your identity in what you can do, but in who you can love. And we fall into that same trap. Our focus and and our worship and our identity should only be grounded in the permanent love of Jesus. Because when when our focus drifts, so does our priority to love. When our worship is pointed elsewhere, our love points elsewhere. When our identity shifts, so does our urgency to love one another. But when our focus and our worship and our identity rest only on the unconditional love of Jesus well, then we are able to start loving others more than we love ourselves. Instead of showing off our, our partial and temporary gifts, we should be showing off the love of Christ. Instead of giving away judgment, we should be giving away love. Instead of offering unwanted advice, we should be offering much-needed love. Instead of liking a comment or photo, we should be loving the person. In our culture, we do a lot of liking but I'm not sure we do a lot of genuine Christ-centered loving why because we get we get wrapped up in the temporary we we become consumed by what we can consume and we place too much value on things that will pass away We need to become people who live a life of love and in order to do that we need to understand that our best efforts are only ever going to be partial. Our 110% is always going to be partial compared to what Jesus comes to complete. So yeah, what we bring is partial and Jesus' permanent love completes. Jesus' permanent love also matures. Verse 11, Paul writes, he gives gives them an individual approach to this. He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Do you see the maturing process that happens here? Paul speaks of being a child in the process of growing up. When we were children, there were no other expectations than to be children. I have a long list of childish ways that have happened because of what I've done in my thoughts, in my mind, in my actions, right? You guys know some of these. I've shared these before. There was a time my parents were leading worship. Up on the stage, where's Justin? Swimming laps across the front pew. It was awesome. Form was great. It's ready for the Olympics. 96, look out. There was the time where I decided to hide in the clothes rack so my mom couldn't find me, and she panicked and had me paged over the intercom and everything. Why? Because I was childish. That's a childish thing to do. I remember the time I tried to combine my two favorite sports. You guys remember this. I'm sure, right? I decided to take basketball and baseball together, and I got my bat, and I got the basketball. And I was like, this is going to revolutionize the game, all right? So I bounced the ball. I hit it with the bat, but I wasn't strong enough to hang onto the bat. Came back, hit me in the face, gave me a big old black eye. On Saturday, nonetheless, heading to church the next day. It was childish, right? And, and we all have probably a long list of childish things that we've done. Now, my kids, I like to talk about my kids. They're fun. They're funny. They're interesting people. Now, my kids, this is a little more cuter example, right? My kids used to say funny things when they were children. My oldest used to say that her favorite color was lelo. Right? I mean, that's just adorable. I don't know why you guys didn't go, oh, because my heart does that for you. No, that's fine. But she said, Lello, And I was just like, oh, that's so cute. Right? Or she might, she also used to add an L to this. She, we'd, like, we'd be like, what's this? And she goes, that's my thlum. Like, that's just adorable, right? But it's adorable when you're three. But when you're 25 applying for a job and they say, what color would you like your office to be painted? And she said, Lello. There's some coffee and donuts on your way out. We'll see you later. Thanks for joining us. Or what would you say to our company? I give it two thumbs up. Like, I mean, that's just not going to fly, right? It's just like, oh, sorry. Have a good day, right? I mean, we all are expected to be childish when we're children. But what Paul is suggesting here is that the Corinthian church has not started growing out of the childish and immature ways that they have lived in for so long. By Paul's phrasing, we can can make a really good guess here that the Corinthian church still spoke, still thought, and still reasoned as if they were immature children. At the beginning of verse 11, Paul gives them a glimpse into how they are acting right now. But then in the second half of verse 11, Paul challenges them. Paul challenges them with the second half of verse 11 when he says, When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. The words used for gave up are actually the exact same words that Paul uses in 8-10 through 10 for pass away. So, Paul is telling the Corinthians to nullify, to to abolish, to, to, to render useless their immature attitudes and stature and identity that they have built their lives around. And I think it's important to note because of the verb that Paul uses here childish and immature ways do not simply pass by because time passes by. We don't automatically become more mature. No, it's a process. There's, there's sacrifice happening here. When Paul says that he gave up childish ways, when he allowed them to pass away, it's, it's actually another word for setting aside, right? Like it's, it's like there's an important task in front of you, right? For me, when I'm, when I'm preparing a message, when I'm writing sermon stuff on my screen, on my computer, I, I have to shut email off or I'm just completely distracted. I have to set it aside so that then I can focus on where I need to go, where my mind needs to be. So it made me think of this question, have we set aside immature ways or have we simply set aside love? Have we allowed our immature habits to overpower and overrule love? Have we given in to what we should have given up? In order to move on from maturity, we must set aside our immature mindset. We must set aside immature actions. We must set aside immature words and love others to the extent that Jesus loved us. I can't believe we're three weeks into a series and we've not heard from Bob Goff yet, but Bob Goff writes in his book, Love Does. If you've not read it, it's fantastic. He says the kind of love that God created and demonstrated is a costly one. Because it involves sacrifice And presence It's a love that operates More like a sign language Than being spoken outright I love that You see a love that is mature Requires sacrifice It requires presence It requires patience It requires action On our part we must be willing To set aside our immaturity That Satan loves to stir up Inside of us and embrace the love that Jesus has exampled for us. The largest evidence of immaturity in the Corinthians was their, dedicated, was their dedication to their gifts. Because the evidence of genuine maturity is not found in a particular gift, but is found in love. It takes, and my my family was talking about this last night around around the table, Uh, it takes a genuine maturity to genuinely love others. It really does, right? Like, I mean, it takes a genuine maturity to actually love others. It takes a genuine maturity to love those who voted differently than you did. It takes a genuine maturity to love those who think differently than we do. It takes a genuine maturity to understand that we can disagree and still love each other. What we offer is immaturity. And Jesus' permanent love offers the opportunity to grow up and mature in our love for one another. Jesus' permanent love completes Jesus' permanent love matures, and Jesus' permanent love clarifies. Verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. I didn't know this till study. Mirrors in the first century were often made of just polished metal. And the reflection would have been quite poor and distorted. They're not anything like the mirrors we have now. But even the mirrors now that we have distort images. And I'm not talking like a fun house where you walk in and there's one mirror where you're like seven feet tall and skinny. And there's another mirror where you look like this. And it's just like, oh, what happened? Like, that's just so goofy and funny. No, I'm talking about like regular mirrors in our house. There's always some distortion, right? Right becomes left. Right? It's so weird. I'm like, oh, I got something on my face. That's not there. It's over here. And then that we're always defined. Our image that we see is always defined by the size of the mirror. Right? There's always some distortion that happens here. And Paul is saying that while we live this life on earth, that our view of the overall story and picture is like that of a first century mirror. It distorts our view. We cannot fully see because we don't have the full picture. We cannot fully know because we do not have the full story. And what Paul is emphasizing here in verse 12 is is our partial qualities that we have in this life and the clarity that Jesus' love brings. Paul uses verse 12 as an opportunity to help the Corinthians see what is happening in the present time and what will happen in the future. He says, right now, Right now, we only see in a mirror dimly. And right now, we we only know part of what is going on. But then, when the perfect comes, we will see him face to face. And then, when the perfect comes, we will know fully, even as if we have been fully known by God. In a world that seems to be nothing but unsure, I would think that our natural tendency would be to lean into the clarity that Jesus gives. What we bring is is partial. What we offer is immature and lacking. And what we need is clarity. And Jesus' permanent love clarifies for us. His love helps us see. His love helps us see the needs of others and the needs of ourselves. His love helps us see him. His love helps us see opportunities. His love helps us see what to do and how to do it. His love helps us understand our role. His love reminds us that life is not about what we do with our gifts, but who we love through our gifts. The permanent love of Jesus is far more important than the partial and temporary gifts of the follower. So where does love take us? How do we love others fully? I mean, I mean, really fully, not just love them Sunday mornings or love them when it's easy, but love them through every moment of their life. How do we love others? What does it look like to place love on top of everything else that we do? Well, we need to follow the pattern of Jesus because Jesus spent time with people. Jesus listened to people. Jesus sat with people. Jesus cried with people. Jesus spoke with people. Jesus ate with people. Jesus performed many miracles with people. And I know what you're thinking. We can't perform miracles. No, we can't. But we can be a miracle in someone else's life by the love that we display to them through the love of Christ. We moved here in October of 2011 that's right church family you've been stuck with me for nine years you're welcome we had a house to sell in East Moline Illinois we moved here we had a family graciously allow us to use their home while they vacationed and spent you know the winter down in Florida and so we moved into this beautiful home and tried not to break anything and we were pretty sure that our house was going to sell quickly. I mean, we did all the HGTV stuff, right? Like painted neutral colors, had the two car garage. Like it was small, but it was nice. You know, we had it staged, but not with too much furniture, not too little. It looked like somebody lived there, but not really. Paint was all nice. Floors were done. Everything looked great. And we waited, and we waited, and we waited month after month after month. And our house hadn't sold. We knew this family was going to be coming back, and they were probably going to want their house back. <laughs> and so, so we just kept waiting. We kept calling our realtor, asking her, are there any things we can do? Can we have more open houses? Do we? She said, we've really done what we can. Our money was tight. We didn't share that with a lot of people. We didn't share that basically with anybody. But money was tight, and we knew we could not afford uh, an apartment here in town, which are costly. Did you know that? I mean, it's just, wow. We knew we couldn't afford an apartment and a vacation home in East Moline, Illinois. Not really a lot of, you know, a lot to do out there. And I took the brunt of that on my heart and my soul because I was the reason we moved here is what I felt like. I felt strongly and passionately that God was moving us here for me to step in and and be the children's minister. I've never done that before, and you guys graciously welcomed us in for me to mess that up time and time again. I felt so strongly that God was calling us here, and in those moments, I felt so far from God. I felt like he had abandoned us. He had got us here and then said, see you later. I pleaded with God. I cried out to the Lord. I cried out in frustration. I cried out in pain. I cried out in suffering. I physically cried because I felt like I couldn't take care of my family. The family was coming back and we felt like we needed to move out. They were gracious coming back. They didn't kick us out, nothing like that. We felt like we needed to move out. and Man, those first months of bills came. And affording a place here and a place over there, everything in between and still needing to put food on the table things were really tight and I remember one day Randy had called me into his office which was terrifying Uh, I was like this is not a good time to be fired Um, I remember going in and sitting down it was back when when our offices were over here and I sat down and he said there was somebody in the church family that wanted to give you a gift but they want to remain anonymous and I said Okay Generally when somebody offers a gift It's like cookies Which I'm very excited about And he gives me this really ugly bag uh, And it was like the green and white Charlie Brown stripes on it Had some purple tissue paper On the top of it And he said they wanted to remain anonymous So if if you want to write a thank you note You just give it to me And I'll I'll make sure they get it And, And I took the bag And I opened it And um did this first service too um, there was $400 in cash in the bag and $400 in cash was going to cover half of our rent here in town it was amazing I don't know who of you did that but nine years later I'm still telling the story of the miracle that you were in our lives through the love of Christ in yours we did sell our house Eventually, after it being on the market for seven months, but I firmly believe that God was waiting on me to fully trust, and He was nudging someone, maybe in this room, to be an agent of love to my family. Paul is not telling us to perform miracles, Paul is simply telling us to love because love never ends. So, my question for us this morning is this Love came down to us, but is love going out through us? I mean, we celebrate in this Advent season the coming of Christ, the birth of our Savior, the birth of the baby that turns into the cross of Christ, all for us all is his display of love love came down to us and in the season of advent in the season of waiting and yearning and longing and pining are we remembering to love one another